Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. I understand why people would think this if you're thinking about realization and hourly rates. You think, oh, well, this is a in-demand service line. I need to increase my fees so I can make more money. But you'd be totally making the wrong move, if you ask me. And here's why. Let me explain why. Today is Sunday, December 12th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So your new computer arrived? Is this correct? Yes. I'm so excited. This is my first new computer in five years. Personal computer. I'm on my own now, so I got to pay for my own gear. So I got the new MacBook Pro M1 Pro chip thing. This is the Apple chip, right? Yes. Apple Silicon. The specs are just incredible on this thing. They have re-engineered how a computer works when it comes to the chip and the memory and the graphics card. They all are connected now and they share the same 32 gigabytes of memory, which means that Apple didn't have to bump up the processor speed to create these incredible improvements in performance and also efficiency. So I'm so excited because this computer can do anything and the fans never turn on. Like I have So this yet... still has a fan. So I guess it was the MacBook Air like this has no fans, but this is Right. Okay. So, so you still have a fan, but you never have not turned it on yet. I have a fan and normally when I'm editing audio video, it turns on, it's really loud, which sucks because then I have to wait for it to cool down before I can record something. Have you so done a I... go to webinar or a Zoom meeting or like any of that? No fans? I've been doing Zoom meetings, no fans, yeah. I want to try Google Hangouts because that's horribly inefficient. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And see how that goes. But yeah, it's been great. It's, and it's like cool on my lap and everything. So I highly recommend it. I know most of our listeners are PC people because, hey, it's accounting and that's the way it is. But I went Mac a long time ago and I haven't looked back. Love it. Yeah, that's my new toy. That's my Christmas gift to myself. How about you, David? What's new? I'm debating a laptop purchase here. I'm trying to debate like whether or not just to get a decent desktop like that I just mm. leave at home or just use my old laptop as kind of a desktop PC and get like go with the Microsoft Surface Go Pro, like something that's a little mm-hmm. smaller, but super portable. I've heard and, great things about those laptops. And what's nice about those, because it's half of a tablet, but because it's true Windows, mm. I can still run the podcast on it if I had to on the road. So I'm kind of kicking around the idea of heading down that path. But in the meantime, first though, I have to get my bookkeeping in order, which is right now a complete nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like the shoemaker's shoes, right? Well, uh, I'm the same way in a lot of cases, but yeah. BBVA got purchased by PNC. It won't connect to the bank feed there. And then the historical data just is listed as debit credit. There's no information. <laughs> I don't, right? There's no yeah, information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't get the old statements. And because I was always paperless. So I never really, QuickBooks would retrieve the bank statements. And that worked until I can't connect. Yeah. And then the other side, I have a Divi card. Divi doesn't have a bank feed. So I have to go and download the .qbo file and manually import the bank feed, which was a little bit of work, but it worked for three years. Except for now, every time I try to import the bank feed, it says it's too big. Oh, wow. And so- Into into QuickBooks? Into QuickBooks. So basically the two accounts with the vast majority of my transactions, I can't, I have no bank feed data for. 
Do you think you're just going to have to hire somebody on Upwork to do this manually? Oh, I, 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 I get interns starting next week. Again. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah, so I have, a, I'll have some help. They're accounting <laughs> majors. It's a, yeah, they'll help me out because that's what they're going to do is like print out paper statements. Yeah, and they have to reconcile manually because there's no. Yeah, it's a total mess, and I'm so I'm, so I'm slowly migrating. Like I really want. I'm I'm just going to move everything to Relay. Actually, I'm just migrating everything. Well, thank uh, you so for that. that way I, I'm killing PNC. I'm going to kill the Divi. I'm just to go to one platform that has a great bank feed. They do virtual cards on really just move to one thing because yep, it's it, worth it. It's it's great experimenting and learning with new tools, and it's good for me from the industry perspective. But like my bookkeeping suffers by using a bunch of random tools. It's true. And then I'm even actually moving from auto entry to receipt bank. And now even on that, I have some stuff in auto entry, some stuff in receipt bank. I just have a big mess, so mm. I need to. Clean it. Yeah, migrating well, from one tool to another is not a, not an easy game, and I'm just one business doing it. Right? Imagine you're yeah. an encounter bookkeeper and you're trying to migrate clients from solution A to solution B. Oh, it's a huge thing. I mean, and that's why in my firm I had a dedicated person, and that's all they did. They did no client accounting; they just did migrations. And I highly recommend it because it unblocks a ton of stuff. I think for our app listeners that are out there, if you have an app, you're an app company. Your app. And the migration from product A to product B is not the only priority for a small business owner for, at all. And well, it's a hard priority for the accounting firm. So manage. if you can, offering a white glove migration service where we'll just do it for you is great. I think that's a huge investment, but it's a worthwhile one. Yeah. Payroll companies have been doing it for a long time. You know, I just just hand me your list of clients, we'll migrate them, we'll get everything set up. Now, whether they do it perfectly and don't cause you a bunch of headaches later is, a, is an open question, but... I, I think yeah. that's very valuable. Payroll's a little bit more black and white. You start trying to migrate people's receivables, the way they invoice. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah, challenge. They, it, yeah. It's a, it's a wide. You don't yeah. know what you're going to get into. Yeah. You know, I was on the way home from Digital CPA Conference, and I got to see a movie, a Christmas movie that I haven't seen in a long time on the plane. Actually, I've never seen it in full, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I just thought about you, David, um, sitting at home instead of stringing up, you know, 10,000 lights on your house, you're going to be doing bookkeeping for a Christmas <laughs> vacation, right? Now, let me ask you this. You watched it, maybe. I, my understanding is on airplanes, for whatever reason, there's a psychological effect and you get a little bit more teary during movies. Well, that, sad. I mean, that movie is not exactly one that makes you tear up. That's though. what I was wondering. Did this invoke any emotions <laughs> from you? Hey, I know people love that movie, but like, I just was a little underwhelmed by it. I didn't find it all that funny. Like, it's basically just Chevy Chase causing misery to his neighbors and his family for the entire movie. He's just this guy that's like, can't just relax. I hope to relax during my Christmas break. I'm taking a week off. Well, it's a staycation because why go anywhere in Arizona? Oh, but I do want to talk about Digital CPA. How long was that conference? I don't know because for the first time I went to the conference, but I didn't buy a ticket. Which I highly recommend, actually. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay, so you go to the conference. So you didn't buy a ticket. That's something you don't. You don't even get a name badge. I didn't get a name badge. No, I didn't even bother to like hook up with an app to get me into the conference for a name badge. So um, you just loitered like in the hotel lobby or something. Like, yeah. explain this process well, to me. So my problem with conferences for a long time has been I don't really go to the sessions because a lot of the sessions are just the same thing every year. It's the same, either super high level stuff that I already know. Or it's like super technical tax and audit stuff that I don't need to know. So I don't go into the sessions. Now, I do generally, when I go to a conference, go to the keynotes. But if they're early in the morning, I never make it because like I'm out networking with people late at night. So this time I said, well, I'm just not going to cause myself the stress of feeling like I didn't take advantage of the ticket. 
I'm just not going to get the ticket. And I'll just read about the keynotes later in accounting today. And I did. And it worked. So I just went to the conference. I hung out in the lobby, met everybody walking through. That's the most valuable part of a conference. Do they have an expo hall? Were you able to go in there? They do, but it's small. But like, I didn't care to go in. Um, But could you if you wanted to? Or were they checking badges? I I don't know. I didn't even try. So (laughs) I know this is crazy to you, right, David? Because you're all about the expo hall. But it was great. Like, I didn't feel like I was um, missing anything. And I got to meet uh, a client of mine. I'm working with a firm called Growth Lab. Met those guys for the first time. That was really the main reason I wanted to go to the conference. You know, Digital CPA is the CAS focused, client accounting services focused, technology focused, small conference that AICPA puts on with CPA.com every year. So it's a good one to go to if you're in that space. But I do have like a criticism of it, which uh, I, I, heard from somebody or, well, they didn't exactly express this, but they brought up this issue, which is that the people who go to digital CPA tend to be a lot of the partners or directors. Sometimes there's managers that go from these cast departments, but you never see the staff there. And I know that at like ZeroCon, QuickBooks Connect, you tend to see firms bring more staff. The smaller firms bring their teams to learn. And I always thought that was so weird about digital CPA because so much of technology is put down in a firm, like top down, and then it never gets adopted. So, like, and is you, this just because the the courses offered wouldn't appeal, or is it just a lack of smart marketing on the AICPA's part of like really telling firm owners this is the one to bring your staff to? Well, it's expensive. That's for one thing. I, I you know, it's like these tickets are hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. To make it cost prohibitive. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, the travel and all that. And But I think a lot of accounting firms are just still in that mold where they're not used to bringing their staff into any of this decision making, right? It's like, I make the decision top down, I put in the tech, and you're going to use it. And it just doesn't work. It, it fails. That's why most technology fails in uh, implementation, fails in an accounting firm. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago that points this out. It's not just a problem in accounting firms. It's a problem in corporate America in general. The headline is, it's time to get rid of the IT department. Time to get rid of the IT department, which I love because in my brief stint at a large firm, my biggest complaint was the IT department. I wanted to put in technology in my practice, but I wasn't a partner. So I didn't get any respect from them. And it took them eight months to turn on Microsoft Teams for me when Microsoft Teams was new. And by then I decided to leave because I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't get Microsoft Teams in? Yeah, I, I'm all in favor of this, getting rid of the IT department. I think it's one of those things that we have just sort of come to accept that every f- company of a certain size has an IT department and they are in charge of technology. But why is that? Why does it have to be that way? And the author of this article questions this whole thing, the whole need for it. His name's Joe Peppard. He takes us back to when the IT department was born. It was originally the computer department. And so you needed a computer department to run these computers because they were super, super complicated. But we don't have super, super complicated computers that only specialists can run anymore. We can all use computers. We have no code technology so that you don't have to be an engineer or a computer scientist to build apps and stuff. And he says that it's really IT that is holding a lot of companies back, especially big ones, because business these days is about technology. Think back to our interview with Aaron Harris at Sage. What did he say that was so amazing? He said, I I, I guess I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't remember exactly. 
the the application is becoming the business. Yes. The tech is now the business because that's what people are interacting with. And so it doesn't make sense to have a separate IT department because they they aren't, you know, me- you can't measure an IT department that's like a service provider to the business based on that. Well, the thing is the whole machine's built this way, right? It, between you have your head of the IT department or VP of IT or whatever you want to call this position. Sometimes it's the CTO, but sometimes the CTO just for something. If they're a tech company, tends not to be the same guy. And then you got like your VP of finance, right? The whole enterprise sales model is built to sell those people's stuff. And this is going back to Expensify's model of reach, going to the employees, the consumerization, right? Of business right, software yeah, has happened. Yeah. But I've always had an issue with this because, and I, I literally have not had a c- corporate issued laptop probably six to eight years. I just always use my own and my own tools. And the reason why is like, I grew up working construction. Could you imagine if you, your plumber came to your house and you, you wouldn't, he wasn't allowed to use his own tools. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, right. It's kind of that same thing. Like, like we're all in this like information creation technology stack. And really we are artists, not the right word, but we're, we're craftspeople at some level. And so you're going to bring the tools you're comfortable with to your job to do the best work you can do. And if some random IT guys, well, we have a contract with this company, so you have to use, I don't know, some other random, name them random crappy app, and you're forced to use it. You can't create things. And then eventually you're right, employees are going to leave. Yeah. And that's kind of the same thing. If, if employees don't get to pick the tools they're going to use at the accounting firm or help influence that decision, they'll eventually leave. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. Do you struggle to get answers from clients? Is it a chore reminding your clients to send over the information you need to do your job? Introducing ClientHub, an award-winning practice management solution for accountants looking to build better client relationships for a more profitable firm. ClientHub's all-in-one solution combines task management with client communication in one place, meaning you get what you need from clients to unblock workflow and get jobs completed on time. Your clients will love the easy-to-use ClientHub web portal and mobile app. Your team will love ClientHub's automated task management. Each month, ClientHub tasks your clients with whatever you need from them. You can even automatically ask your clients about uncategorized QuickBooks transactions. With ClientHub, tasks and messages are in one place, keeping your staff and clients always in the loop. Nothing falls through the cracks. ClientHub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. There's a lot more than that at the Digital CPA Conference. Uh, I didn't attend the keynotes, but I did read the Accounting Today article. So I'll tell you what the what the big keynote was all about. Barry Melanson, the president of the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants, also known as the AICPA, gave a wide-ranging keynote. His main point was that, I'll just read the quote, It's very important that our profession evolve. We can choose not to embrace technological changes and service expectation changes, or we can choose to rethink and to be the actual profession that constantly reinvents itself. Now, I know that there are people that you probably go to cocktail parties with who might say the stereotypical CPA is not innovative. 
and they're risk averse and they're even really old. You know, the symbolism of the green eye shade, but each and every one of you actually defeat those stereotypes. So first of all, great pandering to the audience. Uh, but also like, it made me think about some of these recent stories we've had on the show and also on my Earmark podcast about how a lot of accounting firms or a lot of CPA firms are just like choosing not to be CPA firms anymore. And I thought that's a funny way for them to reinvent themselves. The accounting profession, which has been led by the uh, certified public accountants for so long, a lot of the high growth firms are choosing not to be CPA firms. That's what I was thinking about when I heard that reinvention thing. And I wonder what is going to be the solution to this, right? Are we just going to say it's okay that all of these high growth firms like Eisner Amper deciding to split off the audit practice into its own thing and the growth firm is going to be non-audit, not a CPA firm? Or then we've got Acuity in Atlanta, for one of the first true cloud firms, cloud accounting firms that's not, an account, not a CPA firm, hitting the eight-figure mark in revenue. They're not CPA firms. Now, I know there are some high-growth CPA firms out there, but like most of them, I would say more than half that I know of are not, maybe even 80%. This is a problem, and I don't feel like anyone's really paying attention to that in leadership. We were sitting there at Saging Tax Conference, and we only went into that one session. And I forgot her name. The gist of it is, is she, she was giving that keynote, and the keynote was really kind of her full cycle of, of her company. You know, like the 30-day window into their company and how they, the tools and the technologies and how they mm -hmm. get all the way to the end of closing the books. And through that whole process, like you're just sitting there and you're like, this is accounting. Mm -hmm. Like, like no accounting firms do this. Like this is, this is actual accounting, right? And it's kind of that same, like accounting is not being done, tax and audits being done, but that's tax. It's not accounting. There was one thing in the keynote that Barry Melanson did say that I, I really agreed with. He said about tax, quote, the next generation of entrepreneurs will not view a tax return as a product that they get from you. They will, in fact, view the tax return as a byproduct of the entire relationship that they have with you. And that subtle difference in thinking when you think about client experience is a major way of thinking about how to refresh and rethink about tax practices. And I have to say that I agree with 100%. It's going to be firms about- think about the relationship. Yes. It's about the long-term relationship with the client, valuing that, pricing that, not pricing one tax return. That has no value to, or very little value to a client. What, what matters is their relationship with you. I thought that was great. And I enjoyed, you know, just being able to go enjoy the conference and get the summary in the, uh, the article. At this conference, this is the Digital CPA Conference. Yes. Was the word accounting 4.0 mentioned? I saw an article about that. I don't know if anyone said that. What is, was what the is... word accounting 3.0 mentioned? No, I didn't even know we had was gotten to accounting. Was the word accounting 2.0 mentioned? I didn't know we had gotten to accounting 2.0. Like, I thought we, we were, were still working on that. We were about 300 episodes of this podcast. Have we ever said accounting 2.0, accounting 3.0? No. And also, um, it's kind of funny because that whole like way of numbering products is a little bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Didn't we do, we stopped doing Windows 3.0 and Windows, right? Like a long time ago? Yeah. I, I, I don't know where this term came from. But Accounting Today had an article. The article was titled, Accounting 4.0, Don't Become Blockbuster Video. Oh, I love Kev this story. Yeah. <laughs> by Kevin Dehner and Jeff Haskett. I got caught off by the Accounting 4.0. There's a, a line in here and he says, as people have begun to talk about Accounting 4.0, quote unquote, the change in our industry is now. 
I've never heard anybody ever say accounting 4.0 or 3.0 or 2.0. So it's like, but then you get in this article and it's very, very cliche, right? Accounting 4.0 forces us to rethink these beliefs as clients shift their perception of value. Remember the ace in the hole? Making the shift can feel like steering the Titanic. Rome was not built in a day. This is basically the article. This is like the same kind of thing, like why I decided not to go to the conference because it's people saying the same stuff over and over again, this high level, like we need to reinvent ourselves. And my question is always like, how, how do we reinvent ourselves when Gap hasn't changed in a meaningful way in 50 years? We still don't know how to value intangible assets. And that's why goodwill continues to balloon on our balance sheets. And like, we're not looking at the stuff that really needs to be looked at. We're not taking a hard look at the profession. Let me read you the last article of this or last paragraph of this article. And again, it's it's basically reinforcing what you're saying, where it doesn't actually have a lot of how. It's kind of weird, but um, I'll just read it word for word. Accounting 4.0 offers a more comprehensive and holistic approach to accounting. It connects physical with digital and allows for better collaboration and access between CPAs and their clients. Accounting 4.0 empowers firms to better control and understand clients, leverage data to boost productivity, improve processes, and drive growth. Let's embrace it as the opportunity that it is. Right. Yeah. So great. Awesome. (laughs) How? How? What do we do? You know? (laughs) Actually, there was one thing in this story that I liked, one, one suggestion, which is if you want to do this change, create physical and organizational separation from your core business to create a low risk sandbox for experimentation. And I think that is essential. If you want to build a new service line, let's say you want to add finance as a service, or let's say you want to add client accounting services, give it its own team. Don't borrow resources. Give it a dedicated leader, empower them, give them a PL. Half measures don't work. And that is actually fair. But of course, all the other stuff, right? There's a lot of details here. A lot of details to be worked out. Oh, I missed this one. The uh, Protect it from your firm's politics like the baby bird that it is. There's just like, all these cliches. Obviously, plus they talk about Blockbuster, but it just uh, goes on and on. I just am still wondering, you know, I've yet to see. I should have Twitter searched on Twitter uh, for accounting 4.0. Well, what was accounting 3.0? What was accounting 2.0? I don't We're going to find out. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Well, so here's an example of how firms continue to use old methods for a new service line. CPA.com put out a survey recently this year that they've been talking about a lot, showing that cash revenues are surging 20%. It's really high growth, right? That This is where the opportunity is. It's been a theme this year, right? Yeah. Over and over again, we've seen articles and surveys like this. Right. And it's about the relationship. You're not just doing a tax return for a client anymore. Now you're doing their bookkeeping. You're doing their accounting. You're providing some advisory services as well on an ongoing monthly fixed fee most of the time, right? A lot of firms are realizing this is where the action's at. But the problem is, as I experienced, we're still using old methods to to try and manage it and try to evaluate it. And one of those methods is realization in the billable hour. There's actually a terrible, terrible conclusion in the survey, which is otherwise really great. (laughs) I'm going to pull this up and share this with you because I think it's a fascinating window into how the way you think about data really changed the conclusion you draw from it. The problem with this survey, one, it was a great survey except for this one conclusion, keeping whole conclusion, but then you never really said what the conclusion is. Here's the section that 
caused me a little consternation. Room to raise fees. There are signs in the CAST survey financial data that suggest CAST practice leaders may be underpricing their services. And they, they, they analyzed all of these CAST practices, these client accounting services, accounting and bookkeeping practices, based on realized rate per hour. As you might expect, as you should expect if you've ever been in the bookkeeping world, the realized rate per hour for all levels in CAST comes in low when compared to other CPA firm benchmark studies across all services. That rate for all respondents is $89 per hour. Top performers had a realized rate of $142 per hour. Now, all other services, average of $165 per hour. So most firms are getting, you know, around half of what they would get for other services. And they also say the sales close rate is high, 75% for all respondents. So the conclusion is that this is a high in-demand service, and therefore, we should raise our prices and service fewer clients that are the best right-fit clients. Now, that's a mistake, if you ask me. That's like the wrong conclusion to draw. And CPA Trendlines repeated this conclusion in an article called, Are You Underpricing Your Client Accounting Services? I understand why people would think this if you're thinking about realization and hourly rates. You think, oh, well, this is a in-demand service line. I need to increase my fees so I can make more money. But you'd be totally making the wrong move, if you ask me. And here's why. Let me explain why. Bookkeeping, accounting, putting the books together, write-up work, whatever you want to call it, you don't price it based on hourly rates. You price it based on the value the client perceives. The reason I believe that we're earning maybe half of what we would earn for other services is simply because clients do not value accounting and bookkeeping the way they value tax planning or audit. And the reason is tax planning and audit takes uh, a lot of experience or a license. And so you can charge more for it, right? We create, uh, with the audit in particular, we create artificial scarcity by giving a monopoly to CPAs to do it. And with tax planning, man, you got to be really experienced to do that right. It's very complicated. Bookkeeping, there's a lot of people offering bookkeeping, right? There's a lot of supply. There may be a lot of demand, but there's also a lot of supply. So you're just never going to be able to charge what you charge for tax and audit for bookkeeping. Well, you, so, well I think you can't manage it as its own separate thing. You have to look at your entire firm. Right? And that, there and you go. Because that, in theory, if you control the bookkeeping, that's going to make you more efficient on your other firm offerings. And that's exactly where I was going with this, is that you don't want to trim your clients for CAS. You don't want to do less work. You want to offer CAS to everyone every client, lower your prices, increase your capacity for CAS, and it will lead to way more profitable work in tax and other consulting services. It's like having the eggs and the milk on sale, but way in the back of the store. Exactly. And that's Costco, what this is- Costco is not making business unit decisions based on those eggs that are in the hardest place to get in, the, yes. in Costco. This is what so many firms do is they silo their services and they try to optimize them individually at the practice level, and they don't see it as this client is a client of the firm. And by having this bookkeeping client, we have this opportunity to sell them many more services when they need them. And this is the problem I ran into at a big firm. Our, our rate had to be so high that we excluded most of our clients from being able to use CAS. So don't raise your rates on CAS. What you should do if you want to make more money is add 
additional advisory type services to layer on top of your entry-level CAS prices and keep that as low as possible. Don't, don't try to make a ton of money on CAS. You know, you use CAS as a way to get clients. I just can't believe that this is, I mean, I do believe that this is the wrong conclusion you draw from the wrong metrics and old thinking, hourly based thinking. So I just wanted to share that with our listeners because, you know, I think this is really bad advice. Very, very bad advice. And I'd be curious to know what you all think. Am I right? Am I wrong? I know it can be challenging to offer cast to everyone, but I think we should do it. It's, it's better for the clients. It's better for your firm in the long run. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. If you're wondering why OnPay is great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience. They handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. Even while handling all the complicated stuff, OnPay remains an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all of your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. It helps them stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay has flexible and customizable integrations with QuickBooks and Xero. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, and special bonuses for moving clients to OnPay for 2022. The program also offers a dedicated support team to offer white glove service to both you and your clients. To learn more about offering your clients the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. So speaking of old thinking, Edward Mendelowitz wrote another article in Accounting Today. He directly talks about you in this article. And it's again, it's about the timesheet dispute. <laughs> Having Ed on my new podcast, the Earmark Accounting Podcast, was I think the best marketing that ever, because he is so prolific and he has actually been wonderful about sharing this episode. And I really enjoyed it. It was great. It was very, I mean, just a compliment to you. It was an excellent episode. And it, there's a couple of funny things, and uh, he actually calls out in here at the end. He talks about, I know that opponents of timesheets say these are all spurious reasons, and that is what Blake Oliver kept prodding me to admit, but he didn't succeed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for, for those who didn't listen, uh, head over to my new podcast, the Earmark Accounting Podcast, and listen to the debate, the timesheet debate with Edward Mendlowitz. But that's not even the best part. Like That's just a teeny piece. Like I learned so much from him, and it's easy for us to like, oh, those guys that use timesheets, they're just old dinosaurs and they're not worth listening to. Like he brought so much value in that. You talked to him for a solid hour, hour and 10 minutes maybe, yeah. right? But well, what was great about that is I don't think Ed and I actually disagree all that much on the timesheets because the way he uses them is appropriate. He uses them primarily as a way to get an idea of what people are working on and help them allocate their time and reallocate work to different team members so that they are most useful. Yeah, because he, like, it, it helps you identify what added right. services were performed past the original scope, who worked on it, who should have been possibly assigned to it instead, where certain staff rotated in on the project, rotated off. You don't get to track any of that if you're not using timesheets. Right. But he actually states in here that firms that just bill solely on time 
are going to be penalized every time they introduce new technology. And so it's just a, not a smart way to think about this, right? Yeah. Use the timesheets for lots of your practice. Another thing is he always puts these great one-line singers in. He's, he said a common argument against timesheet is that staffs doesn't like to do them. And he's like, of course, no one likes filling out timesheets. And he says, I don't like stopping at stop signs. I don't like paying toll roads when I drive to New York City, but it's part of what we need to do. He always sticks these nice singers in. Yes, nobody likes filling out timesheets. Well, I think part of the problem is that we require people to fill out timesheets to such a level of detail that it really is a painful thing. Having to do it to the quarter hour, that's a lot of going to your timesheet every multiple times per hour. And then you have to make these judgment calls about, do I put an email that I wrote into there as a quarter hour? I mean, some firms do the, a tenth of an hour. That's crazy. Can you imagine having to track your time to six minutes? And, and uh, the, the one thing the, the podcast remember is he kind of apologized saying that you had a poor experience. Like you didn't have a great experience at a great firm when it came to that we were managed as an employee. And it's probably why you quit. But my, my guess is you probably had the typical experience. Right. I think I did. And I think that's where Ed and I disagree is like, he seems to have this very rosy view of the accounting profession. Maybe he ran his practice differently, but like, I think most people don't have a probably why he is who he is. Right. He probably did run it differently. Well, and he, he says he doesn't use the timesheets to make evaluations of staff. He uses a bunch of other things and he doesn't primarily build by the hour. So like, he's really just using timesheets the way that it's probably best used, which is an information system to get an idea of where people's time is. And I've got to say, David, I am a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I am, you know, as I grow Earmark, I've got some employees now, I am having them do a timesheet because I need to get an idea of, as we build out our processes, how much time it's taking per episode. But I want to say this, I am going to use them very judiciously. I'm going to just use it to get an idea of how much time this takes so that I can figure out our capacity on episodes to start. I'm not going to use it to evaluate the staff. I'm not going to use it to incentivize them. And I'm not going to ask them to track their time to a ridiculous decimal point. I'm going to do it very generally, like probably even to the hour. I just want to know roughly, did this episode take us four or five hours to do? And therefore, I know we can probably accomplish X number of episodes per week, that sort of thing. Well, and plus, on top of that, you can use it to... to raise real issues that could have happened because it's not so much that the person may be editing a podcast, they did this one podcast, it took six hours to edit the podcast. It's not an indication that person's work. It could be an indication that, oh, the guest had a crappy microphone that kept making this weird clicking noise every time they had to talk and had to go take all those out. But you wouldn't know if you don't track how much time that the difference between, oh, why'd that one take an hour? Oh, I sent them a microphone that was perfect and it worked. So it's important that you use them the right way. And I think most firms that are using them to like bonus staff, incentivize staff, like you said, it runs counter to our goals, which is we want them to use technology to become more efficient. But if they do that, both the staff and the firm loses hours, which causes them to then bill less. And so they get penalized. They get penalized because they're not hitting their hours. And then the firm gets penalized because if it's billing hourly, which is crazy at this point, then they they lose billable hours. So they actually hurt themselves by implementing technology, which is why most technology fails because it tries to go top down. The staff aren't bought into it because they don't want change because change just hurts them. Uh, and there's one more article that Ed wrote because he's so prolific, I want to point out. <laughs> I know. It actually makes the case. It actually makes the case against realization and shows just how crazy cost accounting can be. 
So he, he wrote an article on CPA Trendlines called, What is a Reasonable Number of Work Hours? Answering the question, how many hours a year do you recommend staff working? His answer is, it depends. And he gives a spreadsheet showing different ways to calculate the number of chargeable hours in a year. So if you're going to be a traditional firm, you have to tell staff, here's how many hours I expect you to charge or bill during a year. And then you typically would incentivize them to hit those targets. This is the old hourly billing model. Well, the crazy thing about it is, as with much cost accounting, you can change the methodology and it dramatically changes the result. And he gives four different ways to calculate the number of chargeable hours, all the way from 1,200 to 1,400 to 1,600 to 1,864 per year, which is a change of 55% more. So think about it this way. If you have four different firms that all have the same number of clients and do approximately the same amount of work with the same number of staff, depending on how many hours you say there are in a year to bill, you're going to be as much as a difference of 55% in terms of how much time things take. That's a lot. That's a big difference, right? And a good manager will figure out the units of measure that's going to maximize their bonus. (laughs) And other people might lose their job. Yeah, it just shows how imaginary it all is. So basically, think about it this way too. If you're a staff that goes from a firm that has 1,200 hours to a firm that has 1,864, are you actually going to do 55% more work? No, you're going to inflate your hours by 55%. You're either going to actually take 55% longer, because we all know that work expands to fill the time allocated to it, or you're going to... Uh, lie on your timesheet or, you know, not lie, but just sort of fudge, right? That's how it works. This is why this method is insane. Um, this goes back to like simple like cell phones. I don't know, I have an Apple phone. It's called a OnePlus. It's kind of an off-brand, right? I bought the OnePlus for $300. If I wanted the equivalent iPhone, it's going to cost me 1000 But I, I doubt Apple spends more time figuring out how to maximize what they're going to charge for it than they do. They probably manufacture it for the same cost as the phone I got. All these phones cost like a hundred bucks to make. Right. It's all like the and, same, the same price. And I think that's the focus. I think in the accounting industry with timesheets is like so much effort's about that side of it. But if you just spend more effort on the other side of what value you're bringing, what services you're providing, is there? There's probably so much margin to earn on the other side that maybe even tracking it all is pointless. You, it's really just a cost to do this. Right? Yeah. It's where you're investing your energy. I would say track it like when you're starting a new service line, track it to get an idea of how much time something takes, maybe. And maybe do it roughly on an ongoing basis. But let people track to like the hour. Who cares? If, you know, on average, if you've got a bunch of staff, it'll average out, right? Or, yeah. or half hour. I mean, you know, it's not. So I, 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 I get two surveys from QuickBooks. And so you just had a survey that kind of led us down this path. Um, one of these surveys I actually like, and the other one I think is kind of bullshit. So we can go down these two paths. So one of them is basically the impact of payments on mid-sized businesses. Also, essentially, it's a survey, and at the bottom of the article, obviously, it pushes into it. Merchant card services, blah, blah, blah. But there's really some good data in here that use a firm, when we just talked about like offering new services, there's some serious pain here that you as a firm could solve. So essentially, QuickBooks surveyed 2,000 mid-sized businesses to understand about their past two invoices right, and how, they, how it affects their business. 65% of the people surveyed, businesses surveyed, said they spent 14 hours a week on average collecting payments. Collecting payments? Between the administrative task, right? You record the payment, collect the payment, 
call them if they're late, all that kind of stuff. 14 hours. It's basically two business days a week or two I business believe. days a month. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, no, no, a week. Sorry. Two business days a week chasing your payments. Well, and there was there any idea of like the average size of these businesses? Uh, these are uh, businesses with 25 to 200 employees. Okay. So, so, so slightly, slightly bigger uh, businesses. Well, and good targets for accounting services, right? Because they're, they're big enough where they have these needs. Where they and, can afford to pay, right? And they can afford to pay. And they're small enough where like for them an extra headcount makes a big difference. So if they can outsource that. 81% of the businesses said they don't have a fully integrated payment system. 81. Wow. That's a meaning that the payments don't reconcile to the invoices automatically. Yeah. And, and 50% yeah. said that they have multiple digital payment platforms and some of it's automated and some of it's not automated. Right. Yep. But the whole end to end is not automated. And so this is where you as a firm come in and ask your clients about this because mm -hmm. you have the skill set in theory to solve this for them. And it's yep. a solvable problem. There's tons of AR solutions now that will handle all the different types of receivables you have in person, online, and sync that into the accounting system. And this is really the opposite of AP or the flip side of the coin. And, and we, we've done a lot of this as firms, optimizing accounts payable. AR, if you're not doing that, that's the next easy win, right? These businesses are on average are owed $300,000 in late payments yep. currently. So, so you can increase working capital, basically put $300,000, well, maybe not all of it, but a significant chunk back into your client's pocket. And, and, and so this is where, like, let's step back because this next stat's really important. But this whole conversation, oh, how do you bill for this? Do we bill a percentage of how much money we help them collect? You know, what it is. Here's the stat, which gives you a lot of freedom in billing on this and how you're going to value bill it. Um, the overhead is stressful. 78% of mid-sized businesses surveyed said they were more stressed about late customer payments this year compared to previous years. Overdue invoices are a source of unnecessary stress and a business owner's energy could be better spent on more essential tasks that grow the business. It, you have to present this when you sell this as a way to reduce your, stress. You're pricing the relationship, right? I'm going yep. to reduce your stress. I'm going to make it so you can run your business better. It's not, well, if I helped you collect these, I'm going to charge you this many fees. Well, and also think of it too, if you want to think of it in terms of time, you said that the average time spent is 14 hours a week. Let's be generous, round that up. Half a headcount. If I can save you half a headcount, what is that worth to you? Not to have to manage that person, pay that person benefits, all that. You know, let's say an AR specialist is going to cost a business, I don't know, it depends on the area of the country, let's say $60,000 a year. I could charge you $30,000 a year. To, and then to, if you take time to build the right technology stack in there to automate it, yeah, your then cost the, just went down on that. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I hope you're not billing them by the hour. because <laughs> So it's a great survey yeah. from that perspective of just opening your eyes up to kind of what's going on in the market right now. The rest of the article you don't need to read. It's all starts plugging, not, you know, into its services, obviously. I love that. It's a great opportunity that doesn't require a ton of experienced staff, which is the problem we have right now, right? A lot and of you don't advisory. have to be a CPA firm to do this. You could just Anyone. be any bookkeeper and offer that. Yeah. Any a BPO, business process outsourcing company, whatever you want to call it. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out into its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. 
Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Then there was a second survey from Intuit. Now, this one was not really, it was done a little bit more generically. And the title said, majority of mid-sized businesses outgrow technology or overpay for unused features. So when I saw this headline, I immediately, my brain said, oh, like QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise. (laughs) So this survey, QuickBooks surveyed 1,000 business owners with 10 to 100 employees to understand how mid-sized businesses are leveraging technology to grow. Um, Just the article is most are using a product that they've outgrown. So a lot of them are just using a product they've outgrown. And -hmm. then the other ones on the other extreme either have a product they've purchased, like an ERP product, that they're not using all the features and they feel like they're overpaying it. Essentially, this is uh, trying to make a case for QuickBooks Online Advanced in this. The reason I kind of think this is a BS kind of article is I, I do feel like chances are a lot of these small business owners they surveyed Probably when they say they're overpaying for something, they're probably talking about QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise. <laughs> and it's a QuickBooks survey. And yeah. I, I, I know how many times I've come across somebody, you go to dinner and somebody has a business and they tell you they're about their business and they say, I'm using QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise. And I'm like, why? You do 12 invoices a year. This makes no sense. Yeah. They're like a consulting business. They get 12. It, well, gets, it just got shoved down people's all, throats. Right. We all know why. It's because Intuit has incentivized pro-advisors to sell enterprise yeah, they're, they're, by giving them big fat commissions for it. And so you've got all these pro-advisors going around selling enterprise to businesses that don't need it. Intuit QuickBooks had a great survey over here on one hand and this hand. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this survey. I, I mean, they're basically trying to say like, don't use ERP level packages and use QuickBooks Online Advance. I think we could have played the app news music before that segment, but let's do it now. All right, I have survey data, and this is from our friends at Zoom, not the microphone company, the video conferencing company, Zoom. They did what I think every software company should do, and they looked at their user data on an anonymous basis. They aggregated their user data and put out an annual report as to you know how people are using Zoom. There's some really interesting stats in here. Did you know that the top day of the week for meetings was Wednesday, followed by Tuesday and Thursday. That's actually not that surprising. Good reason to, when you make your hybrid work schedule, make Monday and Friday the days that are optional. The average meeting length was 54 minutes. I feel like that's actually really long for average, because that means that a lot of meetings are longer than an hour. Well, if you figure, if you, a lot of times people schedule a meeting for an hour, and then it overruns by 10. Rarely do you get an hour meeting, and you're, you're out of there at 45 minutes. Where I try as, does that happen? I try as much as possible to schedule 30-minute meetings. I've been, even been doing 15, which I love because, I mean, the problem with 15 is you got to really cut the small talk yeah. <laughs> to get things done. But you can, if you're really efficient, you can have like four 15-minute meetings in an hour and save yourself a ton of time, whole hour, instead of doing 30. Average meeting size, also really high, 10 participants. That's way too many people to have in a Zoom. 
in a meeting anyway. If you're just giving information to people, you know, why not just do a video? 10 people, they can't participate. Well, is, now, what's the, the rule of attendees artificially inflated just because, oh, it's a Zoom, I'll dial in, you click on it, it's on mute, you're on another screen, you're doing stuff, you're not even really participating. Versus well, go, also, walking to a physical room and sitting down in there is a little bit different. I don't know. I just feel like that's a waste of time. If that's what people are doing, like logging into a meeting and just going on mute and just doing other work, like why, why are they even in the meeting? Because right? remember these people that have two jobs at the same time? <laughs> they log into one meeting on this computer and then over here yeah. they do their other work. How are you showing up to your meetings? 68% dress casually for meetings. Almost half say it's never okay to eat during meetings, which means that half say it is okay to eat. I, I have eaten during meetings, but I, I try to avoid it. It's kind of... I just turn I my think, camera off. It well, depends if I have to participate. If it's a one-way right. kind of meeting and all hands, I don't care. Uh, I'll carry the hey, phone to the bathroom. I don't care. David, here's a question for you. Do you shower before you get on your Zooms? No. I usually have a morning, especially if I have an early Zoom. Yeah. Like at 6.30, 7.30, I either choose to shower or eat breakfast. It's hard to get both fit in. So. Yeah, I'm also one who likes to just start working and then I'll like work out and shower later. That's what I love about remote work. It's like I could never do that when I went to the office. I had to like do everything early. 26% of Zoom users never or almost never shower before hopping on calls. We're in that category. Some of the most popular phrases on Zoom, 71% have said, you're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> 57% have said, can everyone see my screen? I'd say that all the time. 21% have said, next slide, please. They did a good job of fitting in a new feature, which I didn't know about, that uh, they, they put in this survey. They have a new enhanced slide control update. So now you can give people access to change slides on your screen without giving them remote control. So now you don't have to do the next slide, please thing, which is great. That'll be really good for webinars. What else in here? 75%, three quarters of users say they wave at the end of their meetings. I always wave at the end of meetings. Yeah, I tend to. Even if my camera's not on, it's just... I, actually, I do it on phone calls. It's stupid. <laughs> I'm just making sense. I'm, I'm half nuts. 73%, almost the same amount, have attended happy hour drinks or game night. I have done happy hours on Zoom. and I want to see the trend of that over time. <laughs> surprisingly, a third have attended a fitness or cooking class on Zoom. I've never done one of those. I've done two cooking classes on Zoom. Where are you Zooming from? This surprised me. Have you ever Zoomed from your bed, David? No. 42% of people say they have been on a Zoom in bed. I wonder I've if that's had just Zooms where the person is in bed. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little odd for me. 21% uh, meet while walking and jogging. I've done that. I like to go on walks and do Zooms where I can just talk and I don't need to be at my computer. 11% mm -hmm. have used Zoom on public transport. And then here's the funny part. Have you ever done the thing where you realize that the room you're in just is like a mess? And so you've cleaned up, but only in the area where the people can see <laughs> no, it. No, I've not done that, but that's pretty funny. 43% have cleaned only the part of the room visible on camera. 43% of parents had their kids show up during a meeting. I'll one-up that. I've had a kid show up on a webinar. That was fun. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very conscious of like, not so much cleaning up, but of brand, right? Like I'll use the virtual backgrounds. I had shirts printed with the Mila logo higher up on the chest. Ah, so it would show so up on the Zoom. So yeah, that's like clever. You have to, I'm very conscious of how these things come across. <laughs> but the average meetings, I don't hear. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it in the kitchen table. I have a follow-up from last week really, really quickly. So we talked about how H&R Block has named Zero a preferred solution provider. And the different H&R Block locations were going to use Zero to do assisted bookkeeping with clients. We totally missed it. Um, Zachary Owen on Twitter 
He's Zach J. Owen. He brought up, and I, we just completely missed it, he said, also weird that HR Blocked Block Advisors is using Zero to provide bookkeeping services after acquiring Wave Financial a few years ago. What happened there? And I forgot that they acquired Wave. They already <laughs> own Wave. Like, why would they roll out the service with Zero? I mean, obviously, they decided that Wave wasn't working for them, right? That's all I can think of. If any of you have heard any rumors or know anything about Wave, it completely vanished. I think, well, the problem with Wave was it was really more of a micro business kind of thing. And there were a lot of limitations for bigger businesses, the kind that you really want for cast. So I think they they probably just realized that after they um, tried putting it into these practices. Well, and, you know, that's a good reason. This, Wave was always free and because it had like Google ads and stuff in it. And it attracted a certain business owner type. Right, and this is why I know accounting firms would build their firm on Wave because those people didn't want to pay anything. And I wonder if HR <laughs> Block discovered this. I think you're right. Hey, we got yeah. some listener feedback. Or, or Do we have any more app news before we get to the feedback? I actually do have a story. Yeah, I think I've, so, uh, there's a couple of raises that I think we're interested okay. to touch on. Canopy has raised $35 million in a new funding round. And I was surprised because they just did this like back in June. They raised eleven million. Now they raised another thirty-five million. And both of these raises are after the big debacle they had, where they overbuilt that building. They laid off hundreds and hundreds of people. I don't know what they're doing with this exactly. There's a quote from the Canopy CEO. Let's take a look and see. The new funding will be used to further accelerate Canopy's mission to become the default operating system for accounting firms. To accomplish this, they're going to build out. I'm just going to paraphrase now, client management, document management, workflow, time and billing. That's all the same stuff. Oh, particularly with larger firms. So they're working on getting larger firms. Makes sense, right? You get more bang for your buck as a software company when you go to the big firms. This is the CEO again. Our vision for Canopy is that it becomes the system of record by which accounting firms manage their work and clients. So naturally, we view Canopy as a platform or a centralized hub to which all of your devices and other software solutions can connect. We plan to further develop our API and integrations to facilitate this. Whatever that means is what they're building. So I have about six really quick ones. Boom, 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 boom. If you're ready, hang on. I've got two. Let's do it. Intuit QuickBooks Canada has partnered with a company called Data Switcher to automating, automate converting accounting systems to QuickBooks Online. And the real interesting thing about this article is Data Switcher says that they complete 90% of all successful migrations in under 13 minutes with all the conversions being done within 48 hours. I just thought it was an amazing stat. And this will help you move from stage 50, a comba, zero, whatever you're doing to migrate. But 13 minutes is Well, bad. it's automated, right? It's automated. It's automated, yeah. So yeah. pretty pretty interesting on that front. Oracle released their numbers. And the, the big takeaway in that is NetSuite grew 29%. So, Great growth. And yep, if you think about this, right, we talked about the quick burst growth recently and zero growth in the US. Like they were growing... Um, 22 to 25%. I think zero and QuickBooks in in very good years grow around 30 something percent. And then they slow down, they go around 20%. So this is like really solid growth. FreshBooks partnered with a company called SensiBill. And essentially FreshBooks is going to offer OCR within the Oh, you stole one of mine. That was one I had. Oh, you had that? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Cabbage relaunched. Cabbage from American Express launched a product called Cabbage Funding, which is identical to the actual cabbage when they started their company. You know, it's just a loan product that's yeah. working capital. It's a very confusing press release because I'm like, that's what cabbage has been doing for a decade. I thought that was kind of strange. And then uh, Tupalti, which is um, accounts payable automation startup in the enterprise 
space. They raised two hundred seventy million at an eight point three billion dollar valuation, um, and that's another eight big point three billion. Dang, amazing! And that's it for my app news. I got one more. Yeah, one more. To close it CPA CPA dot com partnered with Biz to Credit for that PPP loan portal thing, and there were sort of mixed reviews on that. They are expanding that now that PPP is over to include regular loan financing. So I think this is a great service that accountants, bookkeepers, whatever any of us financial professionals can provide to our clients. I mean, this is nothing new, right? CPAs have been doing this forever, like working with banks to help their clients get funding and financing and all that stuff. You build those relationships. Well, now you can do it through a portal too, to speed things up. So you're going to be able to go to biz to credit and apply for loans on behalf of your clients. There's a discount on the cost of financing for CPA clients equivalent to approximately 1% to 2% on the annual percentage rate, depending on the loan amount. Funding amounts range from $25,000 to $1 million. There are also non-variable interest rates for loans secured through Vista Credit, as well as an online application and closing process, and an option for firms to earn commissions on funded financing applications. So, you Full know, circle on this, going back to pricing your cash practice or the cash services you're providing, the bookkeeping services, right? A lot mm-hmm. of these loan players, the way they work and the, the reason that they're, they're scaling so quickly, and this goes to Cabbage as well, the application essentially, most of it is connect to your QuickBooks or your Zero, and they go read yeah. the data. If you're not in control of your client's QuickBooks data or Zero data and their accounting data, making sure it's in tip-top shape, applying for that loan is a very difficult process. It probably won't get approved. Exactly. So full circle, right? I said, we need to be offering bookkeeping, CAS, to as many of our clients as possible. This is exactly one reason why. You can't offer this as a service if their books are a mess. Exactly. Perfect. Well, the way I think they that's... do their loans is based on the data in the accounting system. I think that's a great way to close out this segment. We do have one listener mail that came in. This was on our Facebook page. Kathy says... Catching up with the November 26th podcast, thank you for referencing new accountant skills as perhaps being a matter of personal responsibility. I harped on my staff with that for years and was simply labeled as demanding. It was a firm-wide sentiment echoed by my partner, so I scaled down and eliminated staff, hoping to build back better with the staff who actually cared. I take some responsibility. We were a tax mill and completely burning our people out. And this goes to something I think you've said, David, uh, in regards to how Intuit's strategy for becoming a cloud company, it's really hard to do it with people who don't want to do it. And so sometimes you just got to churn out the people who are not interested in changing. And uh, I've, I've I, talked to, to, to companies that have moved from desktop to SaaS. I think um, LivePlan is one of those. And they were a historic desktop company. But in order to get to cloud and create their LivePlan product 100% cloud, they basically had to replace engineers and product managers. Just a different skill set and mindset. Kathy has one more bit of feedback. She said, uh, regarding that QuickBooks online advanced desktop app, she says, I understand they killed the old QBO desktop app, but I just worked on several clients in the new app and not one of them is QBO advanced. She's using a ProAdvisor accountant login. Not sure if that would make a difference. So apparently that that new desktop app works with other QuickBooks file types oh, or the, subscriptions. Okay. Good. Yeah. Because we were concerned, I was concerned that wasn't only an advanced you know, feature because they've been putting so much stuff in It was into written advanced. in that weird way. That's correct. It, it, was, it caused confusion yeah. the way that was written. And that's you, all I got this week. That's a wrap. David, if our listeners want to get in touch with you online, where can they do that? I'm on all the socials, just at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. 
If you want to send us a voicemail, record a voice memo on your phone or on your computer, email it to me at blake at blakeoliver.com. We will listen to it. We will likely play it on the air. And of course, we always love just getting messages from our listeners. Feel free. Contact us. Let us know what you're thinking about these stories or anything that's on your mind, stuff you think we should be talking about. It's my favorite part of doing the show is uh, getting to talk to our listeners. If you use Spotify to listen to us, go to your year wrap up and let us know um, what your stats were for listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I think somebody online listened to 61 episodes last year for 3,000 minutes. I was wondering if anybody can beat that. Oh, I know. It was fantastic. Like uh, Kristen Keats posted hers. I don't remember. Yeah, she was who, a solid 48 so or so minute. 48 episodes, right? 40 episodes and it was about 2,000 yeah. minutes, I think. So thank you everyone who has supported us, listened to us. You know, you listening to this show is what makes our advertisers want to advertise, which makes this whole show possible from a financial standpoint. Oh, and I'm excited to say that Earmark, my app to offer CPE for listening to this podcast, is uh, theoretically launching this month in December. So head over to earmarkcpe.com, sign up for my mailing list. I will email you as soon as the app is out. You'll be able to get CPE credit for listening to this podcast, you listen to it here, you go to Earmark and you do a qu quick quiz. It's like a five question quiz. And then you can download your CPE certificate. So I have an app on my phone or do I yeah, go to a website yeah. or both? No, it's, an, it's an app on your phone. You listen in whatever podcast player you have. Okay. So I'm so in like, iTunes, let's say, and I listen in iTunes or well, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Man. Don't <laughs> date yourself, David. Don't date yourself. Listen in Apple Podcasts or listen on Spotify or Pocket Casts or whatever you use. Well, I could listen in iTunes in theory. It'd still work, right? <laughs> you could. You could. Yes. It still exists. Hard to believe. Okay. So you listen there and then you open up the Earmark app. You find the episode and you, you enroll for free. Take the quiz and email yourself a CPE certificate. We are NASBA approved to offer CPE for this stuff. Believe it or not, our show qualifies for educational credit, at least until somebody decides to report us and they audit us. But, you know, we'll we'll get it going for a while. This hopefully. is amazing because people have been asking for this for almost two years. The, the fact yeah, that this is yeah. here and you finally built this is kind of amazing. I'm really excited because it's taken literally a year. I started in January. I had no idea how difficult it is to build software. I mean, I'm so excited. That's well, it for this week. This goes to those listeners, right? They, we, people listen to our podcast 50 hours a year and they get right. no they credit get, for it, but now they, they will. Can, now they can get a ton of CPE. So thanks everyone for listening. I guess we'll have one more episode before, two more episodes before the year is over. So we'll, we'll need to do our typical- uh, I think it might be three because it falls right on the 31st. So we need to figure out if we record on the 30th or what have you. Well, we could have, have a new adjusting. The holidays fall kind of on our recording days. So we're going to have to, unless you want to record Christmas morning. Maybe. Maybe we'll have a present opening ceremony. That All right. Be David, have a great week. Talk, Talk to you next. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. 
It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.